0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
3: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
0: hello and welcome to back from the borderline where we walk willingly into the darkness of our minds and return home to ourselves transformed i'm so glad each and every one of you is back with me today we're going to be talking about the window of tolerance and how we can really use this concept to better understand emotion regulation and dysregulation I want to provide this little caveat, this is like an intro before the intro, if you came here because you are dead set on diving straight into the topic of window of tolerance, you can go ahead and skip to around minute 39 and then you'll be able to get to the point of the podcast where I start exploring that concept. Before this though, the first part of this podcast is going to be me sharing some reflections that I've had based upon a recent book that I've been reading, as well as answering three listener questions. And I tie all of this in really beautifully, I think, if I do say so for myself, I'm patting myself on the back. I tie it all in to the concept of emotion regulation and our window of tolerance. So as a creator, I highly recommend you listen to the podcast in full, but if this happens to be the very first episode of Back From The Borderline you've ever listened to and you searched window tolerance and you are in the zone of wanting to learn about just that, you can skip to minute 39. But other than that, I highly recommend that you just settle in and listen to the full episode and get the full effect. So let's go. Before I dive into these questions, I wanted to talk about a couple of books that I've been reading that have inspired me, and so many of you always reach out to me on Instagram for book recommendations, so here's a couple for you. One of the books I'm reading right now is called Ace, What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex, and it is by an author named Angela Chen. And this book has been so interesting to me. As many of you know, I've struggled with the topic of my sexuality for a really long time after going through a lot of sexual trauma in my life, and also just being a girl, being completely sexually objectified and sexualized before I even had a chance to understand what sexuality meant to me. It really just fucked up my understanding of Sexuality and sexual desire. And this book is about Angela and how she has found her identity in asexuality. I still don't know if I consider myself to be on the ace spectrum. And being on the ace spectrum means basically just like you're on the asexuality spectrum, because just like gender, just like sexuality, just I believe BPD or any kind of mental struggle, everything's on a spectrum. We can't really measure mental illness we can't measure sexuality or gender it's just it is how you feel it is what it is and we so deeply want to measure and know the abc123 as i like to say of things and with things like sexual desire and sexuality that's just impossible to do because everyone is so very different and a little window into my background i have struggled in the last couple of years especially with really low sexual desire and I went to a doctor about it and it was just part of my regular checkup and the first thing my general practitioner doctor told me was okay let's put you on testosterone therapy which is to help increase sexual desire and two weeks after that I went to my gynecologist and I told him that my GP had recommended that I do this testosterone therapy and he said oh my god do not do that I know that particular doctor's office and they actually get kickbacks and they get paid for everybody that they put into this testosterone replacement program and i was just like god damn it (laughs) it's so frustrating like being in the united states especially i can only speak from my own experience i did live in the united kingdom for a brief time and that had its own um, frustrations dealing with the national health service and the nhs with long wait times and just feeling like a number but in the united states with the way that so many doctors and doctors offices get kickbacks and commissions for pushing shit on people that isn't even necessarily a good fit it's really makes me angry so essentially thankfully my gynecologist is an incredible guy and he said look desire and the way you express your sexuality is so different it could be different this month and next month i don't i highly recommend that you don't go on any kind of medication or treatment for this because it's fine it's okay if you have a lower sexual desire there's nothing wrong with you because of that and i'm so grateful for that doctor but then just to show the complete difference in the way that my GP spoke to me about my low sexual desire and then the way that my gynecologist did. And it makes me so sad because so many of us could find ourselves in a doctor's office and then end up on a medication for something and feeling like we have this brand new disorder. I think there's a actual disorder. It's like chronic, I'll have to look it up. Let's look it up together. All right, I'm back after Googling it. And of course, when I type in low sexual desire disorder, and then the word female automatically like autofills into Google. And when you click that, it's HSDD, hypoactive sexual desire disorder, a type of mental and physical sexual dysfunction in which women <laughs> lack motivation or lose desire to have sex for an extended period of time, at least six months, causing significant levels of personal distress. And... This book that I'm reading is so incredibly validating and freeing even if you don't consider yourself to be asexual. Again, you know me, I don't like labels. I don't like labels of any kind. I hate the fact that we feel like we have to have a label to justify any way that we're feeling. I just wish that we could all just do what the hell we want, live the way we want, love the way we want, and just go on our hero's journey and learn to be the best person that we can be. But we are in the society that we're in. And Angela Chen, the author of Ace, she talks a lot about what she calls compulsory sexuality. And I really find that to be a fascinating topic. I think I'm going to do a whole episode on this. DM me on Instagram or email me or leave a review or anything like that. Or comment on one of my posts on Instagram and tell me if you would like me to do an episode on, you know, asexuality, the ace spectrum, and just desire in society and all these topics because I find it to be really fascinating. But I highly recommend this book and I just think that it's something that we should all look into because I don't think anyone should feel like something's wrong with them just because they don't feel a strong sense of sexual desire. It's been something that has really tortured me throughout my life. And this book, even if you read it and you finish and you say, okay, I wanna identify as asexual or on the ace spectrum or not, it's so freeing because this book just basically is so validating in that it says, just do what you want, be who you want. And it really calls out, she interviews so many different people non-binary people, gay people, trans people, heterosexual people, people who have been really, like, experienced religious trauma around sex. And it just points out how fucked up our society is and how it tries to force us into these little boxes. And it's just a beautifully written book. And if you can't already tell, I highly recommend it. There was a particular part in the book that I read last night that... I wanted to read to you because it just was absolutely beautiful to me and it highlights why I think this book is so important. So She says, over and over, I return to an aphorism coined by the Polish philosopher, Alfred Korbski, and I'm going to have butchered that name for sure, but this is the aphorism that this Polish philosopher says, the map is not the territory. The saying contains both tension and promise. A map is a simplified representation of what is actually there, and the landscape is always richer than the markings captured on the page. Yet maps and simplification can still be helpful. After all, all models are wrong, but some are useful. All representations are limited, but better ones can still broaden the gaze. It's time for new and more detailed maps asexuality offers these more precise maps but we must remember that a map is still a map and that the phrase welcome to the ace world is a misnomer there is no one ace world it should be welcome to the ace worlds one of many entry points for understanding why i like that phrase and just piece from the book and particularly that just idea of maps that phrase of the map is not the territory It really got me thinking that these labels, BPD, CPTSD, you know, this fucking nuts ass disorder that I just discovered, hypoactive sexual desire disorder that apparently only females can have. (laughs) The map is not the territory. I love that. And why I love it is because I just had a conversation with my friend Melanie, who I mentioned quite a bit on this podcast. She's a huge... Mental health advocate and massively influential in the BPD community. And she and I talk a lot, and she found a lot of empowerment in her BPD diagnosis in the beginning. And she and I differ where I'm really starting to just say, fuck all diagnoses. And Mel is still, you know, considers herself to be a BPD advocate. But we had this breakthrough in one of our conversations this morning, and I told her about this phrase in the book about the map is not the territory. And she and I, we realize like we're both talking about the same thing. And what we decided and what we both just had this beautiful conversation about is that a diagnosis can be really empowering when you're in crisis mode. Because think about it, if you're an explorer and you are just dropped into a mountaintop and someone gives you a map that is can be massively helpful you get a compass and a map and okay all of a sudden you know at least what direction to walk in but that map is only a a picture with some lines on it it is not even close to the beauty and the majesty and the diversity that you're going to experience when you actually walk into that territory yourself and you're going to take a little bit of a different path or see it in a different way than someone else and i think that's where I'm headed in my understanding and my, the way I look at psychiatric diagnoses is that they can be a helpful map, but the map is not the territory. And there always comes a point where this diagnostic framework, it can help you until it doesn't. Does that make sense? It's like training wheels on a bicycle. You can ride with training wheels forever but you're never going to get the full experience of riding that bike and the freedom like taking your hands off the off the handlebars and if you've ever ridden a bike where I used to ride bikes a lot when I was a kid and when you take your hands off the handlebars and you can like really balance it's like this beautiful sense of freedom and i think that's how i feel about my bpd diagnosis or i've never was formally diagnosed as many of you know i just I was diagnosed with traits of BPD, and the diagnostic framework for me is like training wheels. I had to let it go at some point because I wanted to find out who I was, and I want to explore the territory. I don't want to just be having my head down in the map. I want to just walk freely in my into my life and my journey. And Mel and I just like really bonded over that because even Mel. While she is a massive BPD advocate, she doesn't cling so tightly to her BPD diagnosis. She doesn't think that that's who she is. She's a really religious person. She has a really close relationship with God and what that means to her. She is deep into athletics and working out. She loves music. There's just so many facets of what make up Mel. And I think that's what I want each and every one of you to understand is there's never ever ever any part of me that wants to disempower any of you who find empowerment or validation in that label but i want you to remember this phrase is the map is not the territory don't cling so tightly to it that you stop yourself from going further in your journey if that makes sense that's just been something that's on my heart and on my mind and i wanted to share it with you because that's part of what I love so much about this podcast is I feel like I have a group of friends that I can talk to and share these things with and these are nuanced conversations and I think if you've ever found yourself in a therapist's office like I have where you're like really pushing I I know that I have BPD or I know that I have XYZ just give me the medication (laughs) that's how I felt like I one time was going to the doctor where I really just wanted to be put on Adderall because I like had, had convinced myself that I had ADD. And I still think I do have ADHD tendencies. I probably could get a diagnosis for it. But I was so set on getting that diagnosis and coming out with that medication. I knew exactly what I wanted because I'd Googled it 10 ways to Sunday. And I felt so frustrated when I came up against doctors who... Now, in retrospect, probably had my best interest at heart. We're just going, okay, don't be so quick to label yourself. Have you tried like going outside, meditating, and <clears throat> changing your diet? What is your relationship to the way that you speak to yourself? And I was so annoyed and frustrated when doctors would start asking me this shit. But really, though, these are the first things that we need to to take notice of, and they probably have our best interest at heart. And there's no saying that medication can't be the right choice for you at some point. But if we haven't taken a look at the first, like, most important things, which is, like, sleep, diet, exercise. If you've listened to my podcast, I am not some person that's out there training for Ironmans or going on fucking 5,000-mile runs. I like low-impact exercise. I'm not a big fitness person but I do know that I need to move my body and have some form of exercise I like yoga I like walking and I try to go to my gym at my apartment complex and walk on an incline on the treadmill while I listen to my book or watch a show but I have to do something to move my body because if we are sitting around eating like crap or not eating like me I used to like really really probably malnourish myself not get enough water not get enough quality sleep spend all my time on a fucking screen and have no time for silence and reflection in my day and not do any kind of nourishing of my mind and trauma work of course I feel like shit And you can't just take a medication, just that, and expect to feel, quote unquote, better. Medication can be really helpful. As I've told many of you before, too, I have been on low-dose antidepressants. I've been on six different psychiatric medications, all to varying levels of efficacy, many side effects, and I can do an episode on that in the future. It's something that I'd have to take very um, seriously because I'm not a doctor, but I'm speaking to you just from someone with lived experience where I've seen what just taking medication and not making any other changes does, and it doesn't help. Yeah, it can numb out the feelings, but it didn't help me flourish in my life. And the only avenue for just medication only was like raising the dose or changing the medication. And then I'm juggling all these different side effects and I wasn't really feeling any different. I was just feeling number and number, which can help and get you out of crisis mode. But if you want to flourish and if you want to really start experiencing a life worth living, medication only is never the option. It can really help But you have to also think about so many other things i wish it was that easy my god i wish i could just take a pill that would give me all of the (laughs) impact of exercise good diet and sleep (laughs) i think we all wish that but unfortunately we actually have to do the hard things and that's tough but it's baby steps it's little things and if you just take it bit by bit You'll be surprised at the changes you can make in your life. Okay, rant, initial rant over. I hope that this was helpful for you. This is stuff that's really coming up for me right now in my life, things that I'm thinking about. So as I promised in the beginning, now I'm going to just play a few different listener voicemails that I received this week. And as I mentioned before, the theme of all three of these messages tied so nicely together and that's why i chose these specific ones i want to thank every single one of you who has submitted voicemails i've listened to all of them and just know that i can't play every single one on the episode but i will choose ones that i think go well with the topics that i'm talking about and don't forget that my premium subscribers their voicemails are prioritized so if you want to leave me a voicemail, go to backfromtheborderline.com voicemail. So without further ado, I'm going to play my first voicemail, which is from a listener named Caitlin.
4: Hi there. My name is Kate. I'm 21 years old. I just started listening to your podcast recently. I just wanted to thank you for being so vulnerable and open with us. The episode that I listened to recently was called What Abusive Relationships Taught Me About Love. And it really resonated with me, especially with listening to your intuition, which I feel like I've been lacking. Where I am right now, I just feel like I'm at rock bottom. And I'm trying to get out of a really toxic relationship with someone who's very manipulative, cheated, and etc. And today was actually my first day at an intensive outpatient program because it's really affected my mental health. What I really got from it was to be on the lookout for the red flags from the start which i feel like i haven't i've just been ignoring patterns and your episode really has inspired me to just listen to my intuition and hearing you talk about your experiences really gives me hope that everything will get better eventually so i just want to say thank you thank you kate for
0: sending this voicemail in and also I hope you're so proud of yourself for taking the huge step in getting help because that is such an act of self-compassion. And that episode, what abusive relationships taught me about love was a really, really hard one for me to record. And it was illuminating too because it had been a long time since I had sat down and just spoke out loud everything that i'd been through and i encourage all of you to do that even just speaking into a voice note about opening up voice notes in your iphone and just speaking out chronologically what you've been through in your relationships the people that have come into your life why you were attracted to them and maybe how things began to fall apart and don't forget to mention the ways maybe that you contributed to some of those toxic dynamics And if you're anything like me, after recording that episode, listening to it back, I was like, whoa, it blew my mind how often I had neglected to listen to my gut. And if I would have just slowed down and taken the time to say, what are the facts? How are these people treating me? How am I Feeling about myself when I'm with this person? How much do I actually know about this person and how much am I just projecting on my desires and my wants to be saved and loved onto them? Are they actually capable of giving me the love that I want? Do I even know the love that I want? All of these things are so important and I'm so proud of you, Kate, for Having that aha moment from that episode of realizing, wow, maybe I haven't listened to my my gut either. Maybe I've ignored that too. And what you're going through is so important and you're much younger than me and having these realizations where you're at now, it's just something to be so proud of yourself for. So I just want to give you a huge virtual hug. And I'm so honored to have you as a listener, and thank you for submitting this question. Now, the next voicemail that I'm going to play is from a listener named Heather, and Heather was part of our Discord community when we had the Discord community. I started a Discord community and then quickly realized that I just did not have the emotional capacity to keep something like that up, but it was really fun while we did have it live, and Heather was a part of that, and... I really just enjoyed all my interactions with her, as she knows. So now Heather has submitted a question, and I'm going to play her question now. And you'll realize why I chose this particular voicemail and how it goes
3: so well with Kate's. So let's hear what Heather has to say. Hi, Molly. It's your friend Heather, 31 years old, calling you from South Carolina. I was diagnosed about a year and a half ago with BPD. And during this journey, I've done a lot of reflection over past relationships. And my question is, how do you start to trust your gut again? Right now, my biggest struggle is between paranoid thoughts versus reality. I really have a hard time trusting myself in relationships and friendships because I'm worried that I'm not being paranoid, that maybe I'm in a situation that warrants caution. However, there's a struggle in my mind between the two. I'm telling myself sometimes you're just being paranoid. However, then I'm getting signs from certain situations that maybe I'm not being paranoid. Tell me your thoughts. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's helped me tremendously. It's a very therapeutic for me. I love you so much. Oh, Heather, when I listened to this voicemail, I was
0: just like, Harder late, harder late, harder late. I understand this. The head fuckiest part of my recovery has been exactly what you're articulating in this voicemail, which is how do I know if it's a distortion, a paranoid thought? I would always be like, is it the BPD or is it my true self? Am I overreacting in this moment or is this? something that is f- causing my gut instincts to flare up and give me a genuine red flag. This is a really hard. And I know that some- <laughs> this is going to be m- my five years ago self would have hated this answer. But when I say, when you know, you will know. And I think that when I tune into my intuition and I know it's the right thing, It's when I am in a state of calm and it feels, I know in my heart of hearts that it's the right decision. And typically when it's just a paranoid thought, it's attached to a lot of other things. It's attached to, is this person going to be mad at me? Is, oh no, what's going to happen if I do this? It's the fear is making the decision. And I think that in order to know what our intuition is trying to say, we have to create moments of calm and peace. And I think this episode is going to be really powerful for you because we're going to be talking about the window of tolerance, Heather. And the window of tolerance, it really explores how often we are in these hyper or hypo aroused states which is basically we how we can better identify when we are in fight flight or freeze if you are in one of those hypo or hyper aroused states it is impossible for you to connect to your intuition and know what maybe your higher self or however you choose to see this right your most regulated state is trying to tell you We can't make sound decisions or decide on what the best reaction is going to be when we are over or under aroused. That's what hypo or hyper arousal means. And so my answer to you, Heather, is learning more about the window of tolerance, which we're going to dive into a little bit today. And I'm going to dive even more into in my premium subscriber episode. Learning how to identify your window of tolerance and come back down into that so that you can make better connections to your intuition, better informed decisions and really know whether you're coming from a place of fear or dissociation or if you're coming from that really grounded, centered place with inside of yourself. And I think understanding and being able to have language around when to identify when you're in that window of tolerance your optimal zone as we're going to be talking about in this episode you're going to know because my gut instinct would be like you just know heather you just know you know when your gut is trying to tell you something but it's not that simple and just as we talked about at the beginning of this episode where we need these maps and i'm hoping that this episode and the concept of the window of tolerance is going to be as big of a mind-blowing moment for you as it has been for me, because I think it'll give you that map. Now, remember that as we said at the beginning, maps are just part of it. You'll have to explore the full territory on your own, but I'm hoping that this language that we're going to go into today is going to help you. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? Now, the last voicemail that I'm going to play is from another listener named Rosa. And again, you'll understand why I selected this voicemail too, because it ties so well together with Caitlin and Heather's questions.
2: Hi, Molly. My name is Rosa. I'm 25 years old. I want to start by saying thank you because your podcast has saved me and my relationship but there is one issue we just can't seem to get past that we keep having and it's me never feeling like I have enough from her and on her end it she feels really underappreciated and just like she gives and gives and gives and it's never enough but on my end I'll just hyper fixate on these stupid little details. Oh, you haven't reached for my hand enough in the last 24 hours. Or I always say I love you first. You must hate me. Or you didn't heart react my picture. You must not want to be with me. And it's exhausting for her. And it's exhausting for me. And I'm pretty good at emotional regulation at this point. But this is the one area once I start, it's like, Become completely unrecognizable. Any advice you have for that would be appreciated.
0: Oh my God. This is another one where I was like, Rosa, I feel you on such a deep and profound level. And I'm full of so much compassion for you too, because being the partner that is in the seat of doing what you're doing, which you describe so well which is you didn't like my picture you I always have to be the first one to say that I love you and I'm always you never touch me enough or these kind of like frantic bids for connection and always hyper questioning what people's actions or better yet their lack of actions mean in a relationship this is such a such a good example of self-sabotage and I'm speaking from first-hand experience, so no shame, no shade. I, My favorite drag queen says, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade, which is like one of my favorite phrases ever.
3: No tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. So no tea, no
0: shade, no pink lemonade, Rosa. I fucking understand. Like I, that's me. And that's my first go-to. I think that probably I think about shit like this three or four times a day where I'm going just last night i was laying in bed and i said to zaz i was like i always have to be the one to lean over and give you a kiss good night you never initiate it and while that may be true what does that type of language even serve me how would like when i sat there after i did that i sat back in bed and i went and it was playful like I but don't get me wrong, I have done, I've come from a really not playful place, like where I'm like, wow, I I you never initiate. But last night it was very playful. But I thought to myself, how would that feel in our partner's shoes where they're on the receiving end of something like that? Which is getting phrases like, You never, you always, I'm always the one. And on their side, what they're hearing from us is You're not doing enough. You're not enough. And if anyone can relate to how shitty it feels to be told that you're not enough, Rosa is people like me and you, right? Like we understand how painful that can be. And I don't think, I think that's the last thing on earth that you want your partner to feel. You want them to feel hurt, feel incredibly loved and appreciated and enough. And you want that too. But what I'm hearing is, is that you're not feeling the connection that you want from her. And for me, when I say those things to Zaz, it actually makes our connection weaker because what it's doing is I'm speaking my need, but I'm, while I'm speaking my need, I am the, at the same time showing him where he's deficient. And I ask you to sit, and really think about your needs. And if our needs come out in these times of supreme dysregulation, that's when the point is lost. Maybe you have a really good point. Zaz has told me in the past where he's like, Molly, sometimes you have a really good point, but you do yourself a disservice because you explode in these moments of dysregulation and it your point gets lost in the sauce. And I think, Rosa, I think your point is getting lost in the sauce. So what I'm encouraging you to do is sit down in a moment of regulation and you're going to this episode too where we talk about the window of tolerance because you are going to need to sit down and think about what is it that you're needing more of from your partner? Do you know about the love languages? Like my love language is definitely words of affirmation but also physical touch. And that doesn't necessarily mean sex. This for me means like I want... My partner to just come up and hug me I want them to show they love me but what I'm realizing about my partner Rosa is that that's just not the way he's wired but if I go up to him and hug him he will always return the favor and so I ask you do you need to change how she is can you be okay with just reaching out and holding her hand and letting her reciprocate that Can you just go up and take a hug? Zaz always says to me, just take it. Take the hug. Come up to me and give me a hug. Take the hug that you want. Why does the hug have to come from me? And don't get me wrong, he hugs me sometimes. And you can articulate that maybe in a moment of regulation. And maybe when you're sitting and having coffee or tea or breakfast one morning, just say, it would mean so much to me if you would maybe just try to hug me or have moments of more spontaneous physical touch because that would really mean a lot to me and it's my love language. It's something that means the world to me. Do you think you could maybe try incorporating that and start the conversation that way? Because if we have these moments of you always, you never, you never touch me first. You never say I love you first. We're going straight into a moment of lack. And that is just primes disconnection. This isn't going to bring us closer together. And Rosa, I also ask you to think about, you know, how are you providing yourself with love? Because I find that when I'm in these states of I'm and I'm hyper fixating on my partner not giving me what I need, it's usually the way that the universe, God, my higher self, however you want to view that, is highlighting where I'm abandoning myself and I'm not giving myself what I need. When's the last time you've sat and given yourself like a nice bath, gone on a walk, maybe treated yourself to a really nice meal? Where are you not nurturing yourself or even just sitting with those feelings? Where is that coming from? Because when we tend to have these feelings and these Visceral reactions to our partners not quote-unquote giving us what we need. It's highlighting a big area of self-abandonment and self-sabotage, I think. At least that's what's been true for me. So I hope that this is helpful for you and I love just all three of these voicemails tying together this kind of this tying into your intuition, not abandoning yourself and how you're going to benefit from this concept that we're about to dive into called the window of tolerance and how you can identify when you're in these moments of hypo which arousal which is like dissociation shutting down or hyper arousal which rosa really described really well in her voicemail which is just these hyper reactive states of feeling fight flight or freeze like we're being abandoned like we're in danger of losing someone When in reality, our partner may be on the other side of that interaction just being so confused, like, what the fuck? I thought everything was just fine. And we're creating this kind of like chaotic tornado in our relationships when sometimes they're perfectly fine. And we convince ourselves that maybe we're with this toxic, neglectful person when in reality, we just don't have the tools to communicate our needs and the ability to identify this like window of tolerance. So I'm hoping that... This episode and this talk is going to give you a window <laughs> and a map into this concept. So let's dive in. So we're going to be talking about the window of tolerance and we are going to be on the premium episode this week, diving even deeper into this. And in my premium episode, I'm going to be including a all these PDFs and worksheets In the show notes and episode description of that episode. And I'm also later this week going to be uploading a guided imagery meditation that my premium subscribers can use when they find themselves outside their window of tolerance. So if that sounds like something that's interesting to you, consider signing up for a premium membership. And if you feel like you want to dive deeper into things and get more than one episode a week, You can sign up, so you just need to go to my website and just click the banner that says Become a Premium Subscriber, or you can go into the episode description of this episode and click the link that says Become a Member. So the best place to start here is to talk about what is the window of tolerance. The window of tolerance was originally described by Dr. Dan Siegel as the optimal zone of arousal, in which a person would be able to function and deal with day-to-day stress most effectively. Most people can deal with the demands and stress of everyday life without much difficulty. However, for those who've experienced trauma, anxiety, or other mental illness, it can be difficult to stay in what's called the optimal zone. And deviating from your window of tolerance is still likely to occur, during our road to recovery. And when we feel dysregulated, there are many self-regulating techniques we can utilize to bring ourself back into the window of tolerance. But the window of tolerance is this zone where intense emotional arousal can be processed in a healthy way, allowing you to function and react to stress or anxiety effectively. It allows us to respond to the demands and stress of everyday life without much difficulty the window of tolerance is almost like this comfort zone where we have the ability to self-soothe and self-regulate our emotional states so try and think of a time when you were in a balanced calm state of mind and you felt relaxed and in control and I'd imagine that you probably remember feeling calm, grounded, alert, safe, and present. Now, that's what it feels like when you're in the optimal zone of the window of tolerance. Keep that in your mind. Really try to remember a time. For me, I can describe just yesterday when I sat down and drew my tarot card of the day I lit some incense, there were no sounds, my dog was sleeping on her bed under my feet, the sun was shining through the windows, and I took a huge deep breath and drew a card, and I was just so calm. And. If I needed to make an important decision, then I could have really, really easily because I'm in the optimal zone. This reminds me of Heather's question too, where she's constantly questioning herself and saying, is this my gut instinct or is this a paranoid thought? And when you're in the optimal zone, this is when it's easy for us to make these decisions. This is when we know that we're grounded, alert, safe, and present, and The decisions that we make come from a regulated emotional state so when the balance is interfered with this is when we move into how trauma can affect our window of tolerance this is when we move outside of the optimal zone so when that balance is altered either due to trauma or extreme stress that's when we end up leaving our window of tolerance and our bodies typically react defensively to this. This is where you begin to dysregulate and experience fight-or-flight responses. If it's not possible to fight or flee, your body will collapse to the freeze state. So when the body responds defensively, it's just trying to keep us safe. This is a normal response when you are put in unsafe situations. However, trauma and extreme stress can create these similar responses that stick with us even after the event has passed. Any undue stress or anxiety can generate fear and negativity that could result in our bodies triggering these defenses, even just with things that other people might not consider to be a quote-unquote big deal. And this is because your mind is convinced that the trauma or extreme stress you experienced in the past is happening again this is how we've talked in the past about the concept of emotional flashbacks this to me is a very similar thing this is why now we should talk about dysregulation bpd or eupd are often described as disorders of emotion regulation right they people with bpd are typically known to have very dysregulated emotions. That's why in the United Kingdom, they call it EUPD, emotionally unstable personality disorder. So dysregulation occurs when you start to deviate outside your window of tolerance. You're no longer in that optimal zone and you start to feel agitated or anxious. For me, that happens when I really start to feel like my heart is beating fast or you just know it. I just I'm overcome with a body feeling that I'm just not okay and everybody else around me could be feeling just fine and my heart is pounding I'm starting my thoughts are starting to spin I start to have paranoid thoughts like people are mad at me or that I have to do something or I have to say something right now this like impulsive kind of like bubble bursting feeling inside of me so In this dysregulated state, you don't feel comfortable, but you're not out of control yet. And past this point is where our body's defenses start to take over. You experience various symptoms like anxiety, like you're out of control, and this is where fight, flight, or freeze responses start happening. And there are two states known as hyperarousal or hypoarousal that occur when we dysregulate and in these two states you can experience a variety of symptoms. And before we dive into hyperarousal or hypoarousal, we just want to talk about the fact that healing from trauma is often described as a journey as we talk about so often in this podcast. And some people really hate this description because they're like, "Oh, it's so woo-woo and a journey is like a vacation and recovering from trauma is hell." And I get that. And as a trauma survivor, I can admit I, too, have also rolled my eyes at the idea of a healing journey. But throughout the years, and specifically just the short time I've been making this podcast, I've spent through working through my trauma responses and the work that I've done in reading all about trauma-informed therapy I have come to realize that this thought of a healing journey is really accurate, even though it can sometimes seem cliché. And the truth is, even if there is some magical place a trauma survivor can reach where they're completely over the past, the world can still feel like a dangerous and stressful place. And the unexpected is always going to happen in our lives. We have to remember that, unfortunately. The people around us are, we're going to lose people. We could lose jobs or someone in our life or ourselves may develop an illness. And those types of things are things we can't control in our life, even if we consider ourselves healed from trauma. And those events are going to trigger these old defenses and survival tactics, the very, very ones that we've worked so hard to overcome. So for people just starting their healing journey, focusing on increasing a feeling of safety is the first step on a way to life that's not constantly hijacked by trauma triggers and defenses. And before you even start thinking about your window of tolerance, it's so good for my listeners like Heather and Rosa who just called in, thinking about safety. And there are three important ways to think about safety. One, Is safety in your body? Two is safety in your emotions and thoughts. And three is safety in your environment and your relationships. And in the face of the unexpected, we need tools to help us feel safe in all three of these areas of our lives. And we also need ways to journey towards the life that we want to live and how we want to feel about ourselves. And learning to live within your window of tolerance is a really great way to maintain the gains that you've made in your recovery journey, as well as being a really important first step in creating a sense of safety. When we're triggered by reminders of the past, or we experience fear, overwhelm, or just lots of stress, our bodies naturally react defensively. We become hyper aroused which is the automatic activation of fight, flight, or freeze defense responses. And alternatively, when there's no opportunity to escape the sense of being threatened or chronically stressed, our bodies may eventually collapse, going into a state of hypoarousal, which is also what's known as dissociation. We're gonna talk about some of the signs of hyperarousal and hypoarousal, along with the signs of the window of tolerance, which is also what's known as what we already talked about, this optimal zone of arousal. The continuous activation of defense responses can lead to health problems. It can contribute to substance abuse. And this is often when we use drugs and alcohol to repeatedly get out of this hyperarousal and hypoarousal states. And activation of defenses also causes relationship problems. How many of us can relate to this? So for example, Rosa, I'm using you as an example because of your just beautifully articulated voicemail, is these moments of hyper arousal of thinking, why didn't you like my picture? Why why don't you ever touch my hand? These kinds of things are these fight, flight, or freeze, these defensive things that we are our dysregulated emotional states are causing us to really sabotage our relationships rather than thinking about what our desired outcome is and how we can articulate this calmly to our partner to get to that rational, mutually desired outcome, which is connection and love, right? And we can't find points of connection and love when we're reacting from these fear-based places. And not only that, I speak about myself where I love marijuana. (laughs) And I love it because it allows me to completely dissociate. It it gets me... I spend a lot of my time in my life hyper aroused where I'm constantly reactive and weed allows me to completely numb out. And I'm really easily addicted to weed. If I have it in the house, I'll smoke it all day because it allows me to numb out. But I realized how much it had turned into an addiction for me and a way to bypass the work that I needed to do. So most of us have difficulty getting along with other people when our defenses are activated. And often we think our hyperarousal and hypoarousal responses are signs that there's something the matter with us. And actually when the body responds defensively, it's just trying to keep us safe. So it's important that as we think about this, I hope you can release any feelings of shame that you're feeling because there's nothing wrong with you. Your body is just doing what it has learned to do that was keeping you safe probably at a younger point in your life. But now it's not keeping you safe anymore. It's actually keeping you stuck. But we can reroute new neural pathways. We can Calm our nervous systems, and we can learn how to get into this optimal zone of the window of tolerance. You have little control in these moments, and these reactions happen quickly and automatically to the subtlest signs of danger. Just remember this. So, even just me seeing my partner's facial expression. I can convince myself that he doesn't love me anymore, and we're going to break up, and I'm going to be all alone in the span of three seconds. That's me going into hyper-aroused state, because I grew up in an environment where one look from my dad, for example, was that I did experience ultimate rejection just from a facial expression, and that is something that was very real to me as a child, but that's not the case now as an adult, in my healthy, secure relationship. But I did find myself in relationships with an abusive person a few years ago who was very similar to what I experienced when I grew up. So you have to know, are you in a safe, secure, healthy relationship and are your behaviors maybe sabotaging that safe, healthy relationship? Are you in a trauma-bonded relationship with another unhealthy person and you need to take notice of that too because maybe you're just repeating these same patterns. But in order to get to a place where you can really understand that and know the difference, you have to understand how to get back into your window of tolerance. We have a hard time thinking our way out of our defense responses. So instead, it's better to approach these states by working with the body, both when feeling calm and triggered and overwhelmed. Learning the signs that you're either hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused and then doing things that can help you feel calm and safe is the practice of returning to the window of tolerance. This is hard for me too because I am a person who likes to think my way out of things, rationalize. But half the time when I'm in a hyper aroused state, I may seem like I'm being very rational, but in reality, I'm like cognitively distorting the shit out of everything around me because I can't see reality clearly when I'm in a hyper aroused state. So if you've heard of trauma work and trauma being stored in the body and the book by Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score so many of us that are constantly stuck in fight flies or flight or freeze are constantly out of touch with our body and understanding the window of tolerance is going to require you to drop into your body tune into your body's sensations and really listen to it and start to trust that it knows what's best for you by living in the window of tolerance and avoiding or escaping defensive states you'll not only feel better but you can also reduce the intensity of your responses to stress and fear. And I like to think about the window of tolerance as the ultimate compass, this map for our healing journey. And most trauma survivors spend a lot of time on a super highway <laughs> to hyper arousal or hypoarousal. And maybe you've experienced the same, these rapidly changing emotions going from zero to 100 to a state of anger or rage to a state of panic, or being shut down and numb. And maybe you've heard this said about you. Maybe people have said this. People have certainly said this to me. I've heard verbatim that I go from 0 to 100. Or maybe you've described yourself that way. Marsha Linehan describes people with BPD as people who don't have any emotional skin. She talks about them as emotional burn victims, where Imagine if you have a horrible burn on your finger and someone touches you with a feather, it may hurt. And this is how I really like to view these hyperarousal or hyperarousal dysregulated states. So think about developing your window of tolerance as getting off that superhighway of rapid defense response. And instead, you start a new path towards a more peaceful version of you maybe it starts as a tiny path you get a little way in the window before something startles you back to your rapid and automatic response to threat and that's okay this is going to be a journey and a process but the more you practice living within the window of tolerance the more you identify when you're outside the window and the wider the new path becomes and all of a sudden you'll start to realize that you're less often on that super highway and more often you're on the peaceful path of your own creation and that is where we're trying to be so i think it's important to take a look at what it looks like to be inside and outside the window of tolerance so i found a couple of examples online so inside the window imagine a typical day when you're not too stressed You're alert and able to focus on your tasks. You're operating within your window of tolerance. If a minor stressor comes up, you forgot to purchase an ingredient you need for dinner or you're preparing, or you're finding out your child has been misbehaving at school, you're in a hurry and get to every single red light. Your level of arousal goes up and may even put you at the edge of your window of tolerance. As long as you're within the window, you can handle these stresses without getting all thrown out of whack. Inside the window is a magic space where you're aware of the discomfort, but you don't flip your lid. We're able to sit with the uncomfortable sensations such as tension or anger before they become panic, terror, or rage. We can pause to reflect on and understand our inner experience. Without this pause, we may react from a place of perceived unsafety, pushing us outside of our window of tolerance. Now. This is the description that I found online of being outside the window of tolerance. Here's a description of being outside the window from Trevor Benson, a character in Nicholas Sparks new book, the return quote once about nine months ago, I was standing in the checkout line at home Depot when the next aisle opened up the clerk there said he could help the next person in line, which was me. But the man behind me rushed over instead, taking what was rightfully my place. No big deal. Maybe an irritation, but really what was at stake? A few minutes? On a day when I wasn't really doing anything at all. The point is is that it shouldn't have bothered me, but it did. I was bothered. Then angry. And then, as the emotion continued to build, enraged. I stared at the back of his head with death rays and I ended up walking out the door less than half a minute behind him. Watching him in the parking lot, I had to fight the visceral urge to chase after him and tackle him to the ground. I imagined pummeling him with my fists. Even if I could make a fist with only one of my hands, I imagined driving a knee into his kidneys or his stomach. I visualized ripping his ear off just as I'd lost mine. My jaw was set, my body bracing for confrontation as I began to walk faster when all of a sudden, It dawned on me that I was experiencing a symptom of PTSD, one that in situations where I should have simply rolled my eyes and gone on with life. When we've experienced trauma, have unmet attachment needs, or just one too many irritations, we move outside our window of tolerance. Our senses are on alert and our experiences are intensified, causing us to flip our shit, like in this example in the book and adverse experiences may shrink our window of tolerance, giving us a greater tendency to become overwhelmed like Trevor did at the Home Depot. We get hijacked by the intense responses of our limbic system and we enter into survival mode. We experience periods of either hyper or hypoarousal. Our prefrontal cortex shuts down. We react to perceived or real threats with either a fight, flight, or freeze response. And this may result in us behaving in chaotic or overly rigid ways. I wonder if you can relate to this situation that Trevor experienced at Home Depot. I can't tell you how often I find myself in these types of hyper-aroused states when in reality, if I look back on it and really look at it from a logical, calm state of mind... Most of the time, it wasn't as big of a deal as I made it out to be. I like this phrase. Sometimes I say this to the girl that I manage at my at my job, but I say to her, but did you die? <laughs> did anybody die? It's not usually that big of a deal. And we say this jokingly, of course. I would never want to invalidate someone's experience if they're having a trauma response. But so often I work in customer success in a tech industry And quite often, we'll have clients that are freaking out over something, right? Maybe this is just not being able to get into their account. Their password isn't working. And they will email this, my colleague, with a frantic, angry email. And it can be so easily almost to get hijacked by someone else's hyper-aroused state. But it's so important to really, when I say to her... (laughs) Is anybody dying? That's almost a way for us to kind of jokingly laugh and get back into our window of tolerance because just because someone else is having a freak out moment doesn't mean that you have to let them hijack you into their dysregulated state. And how often have we done that too? Where maybe we can't get into an account and we're screaming at a customer success person. And in reality... It's not something that's worth getting hyper-aroused over. It's just our body throwing us into a fight, flight, or freeze response. So really think about that. And if you are in line at Home Depot and you're starting to feel those feelings that Trevor was feeling, it's really important to just take a deep breath and say, I'm approaching the edge of my window of tolerance And I want to get back into it. How can I get myself into the optimal zone? Take deep breaths. Ask yourself, am I really in danger right now? Tell yourself, my body right now is sending me the signal that I'm in danger. But I need to ask myself, am I actually in danger right now? Is this person maybe just having a bad day? Do I really want to let this other person hijack my entire emotional state? Probably not. These are the things that I tell myself to help myself get back into that window of tolerance. So that's all we've got for today. On my premium episode, we are going to be talking about in much more detail how to identify the optimal zone. We're going to be going in depth about what exactly is hyper and hypoarousal. We're going to talk about dissociation and how we can come back from that and then we're going to talk about tactics and strategies on how to increase our window of tolerance different exercises that you can do and i'll also be uploading some guided imagery that you can play and walk yourself through that will help you calm your nervous system not only that in my premium episode i will be linking to a bunch of really helpful pdf worksheets that i found in all my research so if this is something you want to dive even deeper into, feel free to just Google window of tolerance and do some research on your own if you're not a subscriber, but if you'd like me to walk you through it and take advantage of all the research that I've already done and get instant access to this, consider becoming a premium subscriber. So all you have to do is go to the show notes, the episode description of this podcast and click become a member or go to backfromtheborderline.com and click click the banner so I would love to welcome you into our premium subscribers remember that the current price 999 is only available for a temporary amount of time once I hit 1000 subscribers I'm going to be increasing that so snag this legacy price while you can and join us it's an amazing additional value that I'm providing and I would love to have you as a member but until then Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you have the best week for my premium subs. I'm going to be dropping this premium episode on Tuesday. So right now you're listening. It's going to be Monday. On Tuesday, you can just be super excited for the extra deep dive to be dropping into your ear holes. (laughs) So have a great rest of your week. Make sure that you are really being mindful of that window of tolerance tune into your body into your intuition and remember that you can only access the wisdom of your higher self when you're in the optimal zone so think about that think about how you can soothe yourself and get back into that zone all right have an amazing week i love each and every one of you and i will talk to you next time